Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. This is the word of our God. Jeremiah 1, at verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I called you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Pray with me. Lord, may the words from my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. That word which is from you, may it flow forth in power. And that word which is from me, may it fall on deaf ears. Today, Christ, be glorified here through your word as is proclaimed, I pray. In your name, amen. Uninspired by contemporary society and what he called the mediocrity of the masses, William McNamara once said, I stake the future on the few humbly and hearty lovers who seek God passionately in the marvelous, messy world of redeemed and related realities that lie in front of our noses. The puzzle for him was why so many people lived uninspired, insignificant lives. That which puzzled McNamara is what predominantly characterized the people of Jeremiah's day. Jeremiah was surrounded by apathetic, faithless individuals who staked their hope in meaningless practices and pursuits. Insomuch as Jeremiah was concerned, he surrendered his life in the pursuit of excellence. He lived at his best. Eugene Peterson suggests one of the supreme tasks of the faith community is to announce to us early and clearly the kind of life into which we can grow and to help us to set our sights on what it means to be a human being complete for God. To put it differently, what does it mean to live our lives in the pursuit of excellence? I would suggest that the text I read from earlier in Jeremiah 1, 4 to 10, provides the framework for it. The pursuit of excellence begins 
with receiving God's purpose for our lives. What does God's purpose involve? It involves a calling. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in 627 B.C. God first calls Jeremiah to himself, and then God calls Jeremiah to a work in the world. The same proves true for you and me. All people share what we would call a general, our primary calling. It is the gospel call to repent of our sin, to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, and to follow him as Lord. First and foremost, we are called to God. It is a singular call. It is not what you do. It is who you are. All people also have a secondary or particular calling. It is our personal answer to God's summons upon our individual lives. Where should I go? What should I do? This calling is different for each of us, but it should always remain rooted in God's primary call upon our lives. In both callings, God initiates. In both callings, we respond. The Lord says in verse 5, I formed you. I chose you. I set you apart. I appointed you. He formed us so we are not a nobody. He chose us so we have meaning. He set us apart so we are not to live solely for ourselves. He appointed us so we must be about God's business in the world. It is now 2022 when the word of the Lord comes to you. The pursuit of excellence cannot begin if you have yet to receive the primary call of the gospel. It cannot begin if you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. At the end of today's service, you will have the opportunity to do that. But once Christ is the center of your life, do not shy away from your secondary calling. I do not want anyone to mistake the word calling as if it only applied to prophets of old like Jeremiah or to those who are called into some form of ministry. God has uniquely set apart and appointed each believer to make a difference through his or her particular talents. When I was a youth pastor in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, there was a missionary named Mo Leverett who had begun a, a mission in inner city New Orleans. It's one of the most dangerous wards of any city, um, even still today. And Mo Leverett had begun this ministry, and he had come to our church to speak about um, all that it involved and how people could participate in and with it. And it was a powerful message. And it really was. And, and people left there truly moved by what Mo had shared and what Mo and his family had done to begin this mission. The next day I get a phone call from one of the deacons of the church and Rob asked me if I could play golf. He didn't have to twist my arm. 
But the truth is, Rob had never asked me to play golf with him before. So I knew it must not be simply for the wonders of my um, company, as special as that might be. We were on, I think, about the third hole, and Rob looked over at me and he questioned if his life was of the same value as Mo's. He wanted to know if he was supposed to be doing something more. He didn't think he measured up. I stand by today what I told Rob then. Mo was equipped and called to be a Christian missionary. Rob was equipped and called to be a Christian accountant. We need both. The pursuit of excellence means we are obedient to God and that we use the gifts that he has given to us, healthcare workers, farmers, teachers, office clerks, bankers, armed forces, housekeepers, and on and on. You get the gist. All for the glory of Christ. No one position is greater or more important than another. And we must not discredit nor shy away from our particular calling. Notice in verse 6, Jeremiah's response to God's call. He says, not unlike Moses from Exodus chapter 4, that he is an inadequate speaker. He says, not unlike King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3, that he is too young. In Tolstoy's The Lord of the Rings, the hobbit Frodo cries out, I'm not made for perilous quest. I wish I'd never seen the ring. Why did it come to me? Why was I chosen? And Gandalf, the great wizard, replied, Such questions cannot be answered. You may be sure that it was not for any merit that others do not possess, not for power or wisdom at any rate, but you have been chosen. And you must therefore use such strength and heart and wits that you have. No one ever said the pursuit of excellence would prove easy. But there is an enormous gap between what we think we can do and what God calls us to do. This is the case because the God who calls us will never leave us nor forsake us. Someone once said that when God calls us to a task, he does not give us a roadmap to follow and then leave us to our own resources. No, God walks with us. The pursuit of excellence means recognizing God's presence in our lives. What does God's presence look like? It looks like faith overcoming fear. Take the adult bird that pushes its chicks from the presumed safety of the branches in which they were born. The mature bird knows what the young ones do not yet know, that they were made to fly. No danger exists in making them to do what they were designed to do in the first place. Birds can walk, yes. 
Birds can cling to the branches and the tree limbs in which they were born, yes. But birds, most of all, were set apart to fly. Not until they spread their wings and soar through the skies are they living at their best. Friends, not until we surrender control to the one who calls us will we live our best lives. Still, some of us try desperately to hold on to ourselves like the young chicks in a tree rather than to spread our wings and soar like God intends for us. The command, do not be afraid, in verse 8, is found frequently in the scriptures. And what it suggests to me is that fear is a common experience for all of us. The basis for overcoming that fear is the assurance of God's presence. The Lord promises Jeremiah, I am with you. Honestly, though, if you're anything like me, sometimes you don't feel secure in that promise. Sometimes I don't feel like I was meant to fly at all. Sometimes I feel like a failure. Sometimes I feel like I just want to give up. Even with the assurance of God's presence, Jeremiah at times would struggle with his calling. He would want to quit. Read chapter 15. Read chapter 20. He was called the weeping prophet because he preached for 40 years. And over the course of that 40 years, he had little to no tangible success. People mocked him. They scrutinized him. They abused him. And he questioned if he was making a difference at all in what he was doing. In the Bible translation, the message, Jeremiah 12.5 reads like this. So Jeremiah... If you're worn out in this foot race with men, what makes you think you can race against horses? And if you can't keep your wits during times of calm, what's going to happen when troubles break loose like the Jordan in a flood? Eugene Peterson interprets that lesson from the Lord to his prophet as if to say, I called you to a life of purpose far beyond what you think yourself capable of living, and I promised you adequate strength to fulfill your destiny. Now, at the first sign of difficulty, you're ready to quit. If you are fatigued by the run-of-the-mill crowd of apathetic mediocrities, what will you do when the race starts? The race with the swift and determined horses of excellence. What is it you really want, Jeremiah? Do you want to shuffle along with the crowd or run with the horses? The paradigm that our world presents is this. I do in order to have so that I might be fill in the blank with the word such as happy or rich or successful or satisfied or so on. I contend that would be shuffling along with the crowd. The problem with that paradigm is we never feel like we get to where we want to be. Even the wealthiest of people seem to never have enough. 
We build our identity on certain expected outcomes, which breeds a sense of fear, our failure, our false hope. The paradigm of the kingdom of God presents like this. Being who I am in Christ shapes what I do, thus impacting what I have. That's running with the horses. The peace that accompanies this paradigm is coming to realize we have more than enough in Christ. We build our identity on the gift of grace. We build our identity on the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We build our identity on the assurance of eternal life. That's a life of faith, and it's more interested in God and others than it is in self. That's a life of faith, and it rarely gets caught up in personal accolades or achievements. Hear the words of Paul from Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Why? That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The pursuit of excellence means releasing God's power through our lives. What does God's power accomplish? It accomplishes the story of redemption. Jeremiah did not choose his audience, those who might like to hear what he had to say. And Jeremiah was not free to massage his message. He had to say what God called him to say, not what he thought his audience wanted to hear. Popular preachers of Jeremiah's day did that, much the same as the Joel Osteens of our time. Crowds loved them because they put a positive spin on everything while maintaining their big smile. <laughs> it is easier, after all, to give people what their itching ears desire. Jeremiah would proclaim messages of judgment to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow. And he would declare a message of hope to build and to plant. The order is important. First, sin must be acknowledged for what it is. And it must be repented of before forgiveness and refreshment will come. Peter later proclaims in Acts 3, verse 19, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. An uneducated minor 
in Scotland once began to preach among his fellow workmen, and he preached with great power. Soon his witness took him far beyond the obscure little mining towns. And at one place, someone asked him how he had received the call to preach in the first place. He replied that he was burdened for those who did not know the gospel. But for some time, he had argued with the Lord that he had no education and that he had no gift for speaking. And yet God said to me, Jamie, you know what the sickness is, don't you? I answered, yes, Lord, the sickness is sin. And then he asked, you know what the remedy is, don't you, Jamie? I answered, yes, Lord, the remedy is Jesus Christ. And he said to me, Jamie, you just take the remedy to those who are sick, and I'll do the rest. That was his call to preach. And that is the gospel that God empowers all believers to share. Every single one of us. While I mentioned earlier that we all have our own particular callings, I also alluded to the fact that we must live out those particular callings in light of our primary calling. Who we are in Christ. Marcus Luttrell, in speaking about his servants, his service to the United States as a Navy SEAL, said this, I was allowed to walk among giants, and now we're looking for the next generation of giants. Who among you will love something more than yourself? Who among you are going to step up and take the fight to the enemy? Church, our enemy is Satan, not other people. We step up and take the fight to Satan whenever we go and wherever we go that Christ leads us. And we unleash the power of the Lion of Judah. The preacher Charles Spurgeon said it best. A great many learned men are defending the gospel. No doubt, it's a very proper and right thing to do. Yet I always notice that when there are most books of that kind, it is because the gospel itself is not being preached. Suppose a number of persons were to take into their heads that they had to defend a lion, a full-grown king of beasts. There he is in the cage, and here comes all the soldiers of the army to fight for him. Well, I should suggest to them to kindly step back, open the door, and let the lion out. I believe that would be the very best way of defending him, for he would take care of himself. The best argument for the gospel is to let the gospel out. Never mind about defending Deuteronomy or the whole of the Pentateuch. Preach Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. Let the lion of the tribe of Judah out and see who will dare approach him. My friends, there is nothing, I tell you, there is nothing more excellent and living lives that release the Lion of Judah into the world.
And you can do that wherever you are and wherever you go. All you've got to do is tell people about Jesus. Pray with me. Lord, give us lives of excellence that we would pour out our lives and honor and service to you, Christ Jesus. You, the one who called us unto yourself. When we were yet sinners, you died for us. Let us now live for you. Jesus, this is our prayer. Make it so, Holy Spirit. We pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, in your name, amen. Our hymn of response this morning is hymn 437. Wherever he leads, I'll go. If you have a decision you need to make for Christ today, the altar is open.